Welcome to the Sacktown Royalty Show. I am your host, Bradley Bielli Geyser. And today, the tables have turned. The first time I was ever on a podcast, this young man right here was the host and I was the guest. And now I have usurped him by way of Tony. And I am the guest, or I am the host, and he is the podcast guest. I really butchered that, but I'm not going to edit it out. How's it going, Greg Wissinger? Fuck it. We deserve this podcast. Yes, we do. I I don't think that's a mean thing to say in this one. I, if someone willingly listens to my voice, they deserve whatever comes next. <laughs> I haven't heard myself speak in like 10 years, so I can't imagine what I sound like. It's, it's torturous. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and it's probably even worse when you have to interact with me. Like, you can scream at me. I mean, you could scream at me on this, but you can scream at me when you're at your car commuting and all that. And here, you just kind of have to live with it. I mean, you accepted to be on here, so you are at least half to blame. At least. I mean, uh, I, I know what I'm getting into, but I'm a glutton for punishment, and, you know, it's all right. Theoretically, like, you started this podcast, so you... You unleashed what's what's the theory I'm thinking of, but you unleashed the series of events that led to me being here. I was a butterfly flapping my wings, and now you're yeah. the typhoon that is storming down to the shores. <laughs> yes, it is. But anyways, <laughs> hey, we talk about butterflies and all that, but we are recording this on Tuesday evening, December 10th, meaning that we are just about 24 hours removed from the best game of the year and the best moment of the year. Thus, the reference earlier. We are coming off of the Kings' buzzer-beating victory against James Harden, Ben McLemore, and the Houston Rockets. And I'm so happy that shot went in, because this podcast would have been miserable if it didn't. What was your reaction? Just as a fan, I'm not looking for nuance here. When a shot like last night happens, what is Greg Wissinger's immediate reaction? Besides tweeting, which we all do. So I'm I'm a father of young kids, and so years of watching basketball after they've gone to bed has kind of trained me to where I don't make a lot of noise. I'll just kind of mutter to myself, like, oh, shit. Uh, but <laughs> it, that's kind of the gist of it. Like, I, I might, like, jump out of my seat or, like, pop my fist and, like, scare my dog and, and my wife, but uh, I don't get very loud anymore just because I've, I've had to worry about waking up children for so many years. Yeah, I didn't think about that factor in it. Um, I don't know if I'd be able to control myself, to be honest. It's pretty um, – I'm not a has, screamer. Sometimes it's more successful than others, but, I'm, yeah, I don't think I'm naturally, like, a, a yeller unless I'm very drunk. Yeah, and I don't think I'm a screamer unless just, like, something like that happens, like, I'll I'll give my opinions on a call or something, but I'm not going to scream the entire game. My voice will give out. But something like that, I just lose all control. I ran around my room like Kevin in Home Alone. I just I <laughs> I temporarily if the police had been coming by, I would have been locked up for what I was doing. Dang! So we missed our shot. <laughs> yeah, that little ten second opportunity of me running around my house like a lunatic was the last chance humanity will have to bring me down. <laughs> there's just something this sounds so simplistic but 
there's just something so satisfying about winning at the buzzer. And I I legitimately think for Kings fans who remember, every single game winner we experience is a little bit of joy from Robert Ory days. I hate to bring that up, but it's like the first thing we're going to think about is, yes, it went our way. And then we're going to think about the worst moment in Kings history. I mean, I, I watched the replay over and over and over. And every time I just kept giggling at the sound of the Houston crowd going, oh. You could you could really go zap Bruder on it too because there's like oh, yeah. you'd watch it and there'd be something new like Kyle Guy making a funny face. Then today I watched it probably fifty <laughs> times last night. Today they unleash a video of Dikembe Mutombo. I didn't even know it was there. I don't know if he works for the Rockets or something. Giving the most Dikembe Mutombo reaction to it, and it's just glorious. I knew he was there because I forget who it was, but someone had tweeted out that he was in attendance uh, along with some other folks and. Uh, I think he was just there attending the game. I don't think he works for them as far as I know. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. I, there's a bunch of former players working for teams. So I wasn't sure if that was the deal or not. So I know he's – Mostly it's weird just the he's, Kings, though. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> what more can be said about that show? I mean, Bielitsa in general. I'm going to – I think Tim and I are going to work on a piece that appeases my stupidity with his love of stats and – I don't know if I don't know if the stupidity is appeased by this, but we're going to talk about this, but and research it. But I legitimately think that there might not be a Kings player who has been directly responsible for winning basketball more than Nemanja Bjelica in the last two years. Now, obviously, De'Aaron Fox is the MVP and all this, but Nemanja Bjelica is so weirdly connected to all of our major victories. It seems when he does well. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, we had a thing, I think it was earlier this season that, that Sanders wrote about where just basically when when Belly plays well, the Kings win. I mean, it, it's just that simple. Like, it, anymore, especially with all the injuries that the Kings have had, you know, I found myself just kind of looking at the first quarter like, all right, is Belly hot? Is Buddy hot? If, if either one of them is hitting shots, like, we got a shot at this game. You know, that's really what it comes down to right now. Yeah. And it is such a weird team this year. <laughs> they make no sense. They make less sense than last year's team because they are going to go out there and defeat James Harden and Gardenwell, but they are also going to go out there and lose to the Spurs after being up nine with like two minutes left. There's no yeah, rhyme or reason our, for this Kings. As our point guard loses multiple balls because he's backing down someone outside the three-pointer. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Corey Joseph. I was so happy to see him do well last night on defense because his defense i mean obviously bielitsa's shot won us the game but Corey joseph's defense we do not win without that without that he was legitimately not just good he was great on james harden last night he his offense was good last night too yeah he had one of his he had one of his best games of the year by far i mean he made three of five from beyond the arc (laughs) (laughs) including two of them came two plays in a row i like it was incredible. Like he was having a great night, and and you know, you know, I mean, we always criticize when guys are struggling, but it, we always want to see him bounce back like that. It was awesome but to see him come back. Are you implying that by criticizing the team, we aren't actually cheering for them to lose? Well, you are obviously, but I'm oh, not. Yeah. Of, uh... <laughs> well, I'm a Hawks fan, so like you gotta understand. I, <laughs> the 
the king, the hawk's fate directly lies with the kings. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, we we criticize guys when they have bad games, but ultimately we want them all to turn into the next iteration of LeBron. <laughs> like, yeah. that's what we want from all of these guys. <laughs> it's what everyone likes being right, but it's one of the funniest things that people do to me when something. Like when they're proven wrong, but in a good way. Like if you think a player is going to be a bust and they're doing great. And someone who is also a fan of the team thinks that you're going to be like, oh, shucks. Bagley is Bagley's too good and I was wrong. What? Who's going to do that to themselves? Who likes being right I mean, that much? Maybe because I've never been right in my life. I just haven't experienced it. But who needs that level of satisfaction and I feel like it's projection when people put that on people. I think it's because so many people love to tout when they're right while never acknowledging when they're wrong, especially in you know modern online discourse. Um, I have found it best to steer into the curve and like constantly remind people of all the times I was an idiot because it's plentiful and it's good entertainment for us all. I just shoot out tank takes. I don't remember if they were right or wrong, and some of them stick once in a while. I think my favorite one I've ever done wasn't even Kings related, but um, a year before either of these things happened, I said Lance Stevenson should go to the Lakers, and then he did. And then I had a tweet that was like, please let us get a year of Rondo and Lonzo, and we got that. I think those are my favorite takes that just for whatever reason stuck that were based in nothing whatsoever. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, a lot of times when you tweet out things, you know they're wrong the instant you put them out there, and it doesn't stop you. So, hey, I called the I called the victory against the Mavericks when things were looking dire for the Kings. I doubled down on that. I was fully I prepared as to... well. You can read, you can read the game preview. I called it. Oh, okay. I was doing it when they were losing the lead. I was being irresponsible. Oh. I like tempting fate. <laughs> Like if I if I like calling a win when it's like a two point game and they were up sixteen, because <laughs> I don't know if I actually I think in the back of my mind I do believe that we have a an effect on the game. We've always known someone who cursed the team in one way or another, but uh, yeah, in we, the back we of my mind, Maxwell. Oh yeah, of course. And Deuce Mason, <laughs> friend of the podcast, Deuce Mason, famously in the World Series once. Um, call the world, called the game leading up to it, or maybe it was the wild card game. I forget what it was. And hashtag blame deuce was born because he had a pretty egregious, the such and such will take on the such and such. And then he was just flat out wrong. It was funny. (laughs) It is funny when someone just appears to curse the team. I don't know why it's so funny. I don't like the thing that a lot of people do, even though I probably participate where they dunk on every single person who was wrong. But when someone makes a bold prediction, like I was fully prepared for backlash when I said the Kings are going to win this and I was just fully prepared for Luka Doncic to hit a three at the buzzer or something. But in my mind, I was also reversing the curse by doubling down on it. Yeah. Every, you've got to convince yourself of it. I, I, I mean, yeah, the, uh, the, the fan curses are clearly, clearly real and a small handful of us control everything. Yeah. Especially bloggers. Bloggers are, they're responsible for everything They're If they're negative about a team, they are going to push the team to do something bad. Yeah. It's why they pay us. So I mean, well. just, just look what we did to poor Willie. Yeah. It, 
Did you see Tony's video of Willie's phenomenal help defense last night? <laughs> yeah. Olay. <laughs> I laughed harder than I should have a couple weeks ago. It is funny, and I'm I'm not even going to lie and and pretend that I just casually came across this. I saw Willie Cauley-Stein at a bad game, and I name-searched him just to see how Warriors fans are reacting. <laughs> and the funniest thing I saw was somebody started a petition to ban Willie Cauley-Stein from the NBA. <laughs> I've I've besmirched people for doing ironic petitions before, but I can't lie. That was hilarious. Because I got it. But I've yeah, talked about him. Yeah, I've talked about him a lot. He's the Warriors problem now. I'll just yep. bask in the glory that he's not here anymore. And we have Rashawn Holmes, who is the anti-Willie Cauley-Stein. Uh, he is everything that is good and pure in this world. Yeah, I... It's it's like we've we've told Aaron Bruski for months before we signed him. It's like we got to do this. We've got to sign Rashawn Holmes, and I'm glad and we were our, right. Our friend Aaron just our friend Aaron would not listen to us. Yeah, friend of the podcast from way back when. <laughs> but yeah, Rashawn Holmes, I I love him. I don't. I feel like I've he's probably been the most consistent topic on the podcast the last few weeks because even when things were bad, he was great. But I cannot state it enough how much I love him and his mom. Dr. Lydesia Holmes, come on the Sacktown Royalty Show. I know you listen. She doesn't. She's she's great. She is every annoying sports parent needs. She needs to teach a course to annoying sports parents because she's perfect. She just lifts up the teens. I see her just sometimes tag people who aren't her son and just lift them up or do whatever. It's I, do, I love seeing positivity in sports. And we perpetuate negativity in certain ways, but it's at the end of the day, it's fun and it's a game and it's fun to see some positivity. Yeah. Anyone who isn't, who's on Twitter and isn't following uh, Rashawn Holmes' mom, you're making a mistake because she, she, she's what every sports parent should be. She wants the team to do well. She cares more about the wins than anything else, but she's not afraid to say like, you know, Hey, this isn't working. King should try this. Like she has a little bit of that. And it's always kind of thinly veiled and kind of gives, <laughs> give, uh, give him a few more touches, but it's not over the top. It's not obnoxious. It's not going to cause controversy. It, it's perfect. <laughs> it boggles my mind. How many parents will flat out call out teammates and stuff. <laughs> and yeah. They want... productive. Yeah. You know, LeVar Ball helped a lot in L.A. I was shocked we never got a LeVar versus LeBron moment. I, As petty as LeBron is, I'm shocked LeVar actually never got into the bad graces, it seemed. At least not that I remember. Uh, I couldn't tell you because very early on in uh, Lonzo's career, I got too exhausted with LeVar Ball talk, so... I blocked him on Twitter and muted his name and the names of the other kids, and I just didn't have to see any of it. It's That's going to be awkward when the Kings get LaMelo, who's apparently good? I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, apparently. Um, yeah. But the the Kings aren't going to be at the, the top of the lottery this year. They're they're going to be in the playoffs, hopefully. So. Well, they're going to trade uh, Trevor Ariza and... Um, what's his face? Caleb Swainigan for a lottery pick. That's what I meant. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, you know we gotta 
event eventually nature has to come back and pay us back for the Nick Stauskas to Philadelphia trade. Eventually. And eventually, I feel like that's there's got to be a GM we can swindle. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be at least one. There's 30 of them. Statistically speaking, there has to be <laughs> one that's worse eventually. But uh, shout out to Vladi. I said this earlier on Twitter, and I do. Sometimes it's easy to dwell on the negative with Vladi, but I've never stopped loving him. I love that guy. Like, he's just, just an all out great person. He's made some frustrating moves for the Kings, and he's done some very questionable things in my mind. But I do love Vladi. That video last night of him and Buddy embracing just warmed my heart because deep down, Vladi is just a great guy who's made some mistakes as a GM, but it shouldn't cloud us from how great he is and how important he is to our team. And I know that some fans have trouble separating, you know, how they feel about him as a, a former player and as a person from the role he's doing as a GM. And, you know, I, I've been able to separate it. I can understand that not everyone could, but yeah, you know, I kind of view him as two different things. Like, how do I think he's doing as a GM? And that's been very hit or miss, obviously. And it's very difficult to you know, figure out how good or bad he, exactly he is. Uh, but as a person, I, I still think he's great. I, I think he's, you know, funny and he's, you know, very easy to easy going, like the lovable character, you know, all the reasons that they wanted to bring him in as kind of the figurehead. I think makes sense. I think the issue just became that he became in charge of everything day to day. Um, and that's where it, it's been you know, less than stellar at times, but uh, yeah, I mean, Vlad is a person, he's a great guy. I mean, all the, the players all seem to like him. Like, I mean, you never hear anyone talk bad about Vlad as a person. Yeah. And going back to Nemanja Bielica, there is, there is assets in having Vlad here and that's Nemanja Bielica. He was, he had his bags packed for Europe and Vlade called. And yeah. so they're, they're, I mean, I mean, we focus on the negative, which you do in sports, especially when you're in a 13 year playoff drought. But there mm-hmm. are, he's had some good moves. I, we do focus on the bad ones, but he's had some good moves and he's had some moves that may be good, maybe bad, maybe neutral. But, you know, we do focus on the negative ones. I do especially. This is me chastising myself. But deep down, I know Vlade would like, if Vladi was able to build a championship team, it would make him so happy. He's not just doing this as business. He has a passion for this team. Oh, yeah. I mean, you hear him all talk about it all the time. Doug Christie brings it up a lot, you know, either, you know, in interviews or, you know, on podcasts, you know, things like that, where, you know, they all have that talk about the unfinished business where, you know, there's a personal aspect of, wanting to see this team succeed because they weren't able to pull it off. Yeah. And that, that probably is why we make fun of it. But um, the Kings are really just, they're like what people say about movies and nostalgia. The Kings are that they have so many former players involved right now. Even like Mitch Richmond's involved now though. He's different, obviously, but we joke about it, but you could tell these guys just want to be a part of when things go right again. They feel like they owe us something. And, I mean, it's not the first time Mitch Richmond's been around the front office under this ownership yeah. group. <laughs> I mean, he's not in the front office right now. He's just doing some TV work. But, like, <laughs> he was in the front office a couple of years ago. Also, while, while I'm being positive about the former players involved with the Kings, I want to talk about Bobby Jackson. No, I want to talk about Doug Christie. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Bobby Jackson as an assistant so far? What's been the highlight of his 
of his 19th tenure as an assistant coach with the Kings? Uh, for me, the highlight is always seeing him uh, playing one-on-one with guys after practice. I actually, I do enjoy those videos. <laughs> I, nothing against Bobby Jackson. He's probably a fine assistant. It's just funny how like low-key he is about it. <laughs> He's always just involved somehow. Some seasons, like a quarter of the way through, I forgot if he was involved with the team because He's had he's been on TV, he's been on radio, he's been an assistant. Has he worked in the front office? He probably has. But he's, um I couldn't maybe as a scout for a period. I can't remember though. I feel like you're right. I feel like he was some sort of scout or something, but yeah. I love Bobby Jackson. Kevin <laughs> gives me trash for for saying Bobby Jackson was my favorite glory year king, but I love that guy. And I've interacted with him a couple times and he's delightful. <laughs> But no, Doug Christie, I've been thinking a lot about his TV work. And I know people were down on him when he started, but I think he's become a very good color commentator in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, I was kind of down on him at first. And he still has his moments where I kind of wince. Uh, his talking at after uh, Bielitsa's shot, you know, Grant had the initial call, which was really great. And then Doug started trying to kind of chime in a little bit and, the moment was big and he just kind of stumbled over it. And, but I think overall he's gotten a lot better, so much better from his first year to his second. And that's to be expected. I mean, a lot of talking on TV with Grant for hours is, you know, the chemistry, the, the give and take knowing, you know, what to do when, um, you know, I, I think he has kind of found a little bit of his own groove. I think his first season, he was really trying to, almost be the new Jerry and he just has to be himself because when he starts talking about, you know, defensive schemes or what's happening on a play, that's where his you know knowledge of the game really shines through. And he can give you some great insights that you don't get on many broadcasts, even yeah. from former players. And I love when he does that. I, I, I love when he does that as opposed to trying to lean on, on shtick. Yeah, he does. He'll occasionally try to get something going that doesn't need to be there. But yeah, he he has a great grasp of the game when he actually talks about it. And going going to this in another realm, which I don't know if they're doing this year, but his podcast with De'Aaron Fox, I loved those. I thought it was very interesting seeing him interact with the players and just kind of seeing them bounce off of each other. I I really thought he was great in that role. Are they doing that still or? It was always designed to be a, a limited run, so I don't know if they're going to do it again. Uh, but I hope they do because, yeah, it was fantastic. De'Aaron Fox, he had a lot of nerves. Like, he just went into podcasting and was good at it. He didn't just sit there and go, um, which was the first five episodes that I did. Just me saying, um, and making weird noises. <laughs> he just went in there with a the confidence. He's like 17 years old or whatever he is. And he just comes in just... <laughs> talking just normal doing his thing and that bothers me to be honest and some of it is fox fox is obviously very comfortable in front of microphones he's very charismatic uh you know things that no one's ever accused you of so you can't get yeah. down on yourself about that that's just good looking has <laughs> a nice head of hair he, he is anti-me <laughs> People like him. <laughs> yeah, you know, well-beloved in the city of Sacramento. He's probably never yeah. put a slice of cheese on his ramen. <laughs> I, oh, 
He likes Whataburger instead of In and Out. So I have one thing going for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing but, I can say. So some of it's the the charisma. I do think some of it though is a credit to Doug because obviously Doug's been oh, doing yeah. podcasts and stuff like that for a while now. And and what stood out in those is he was very good at, at getting those guys comfortable. You know, he would still steer the conversation places, but he was really good at getting them comfortable and getting them to open up and and share things and. I thought he did an amazing job on those. And Doug is good. He, you know, like we said, he's got some things he needs to work on. Doug is great at not being the Charles Barkley and Shaq, the old man yelling at the clouds about how the game has oh, yeah. changed and everyone's gotten soft. Doug Christie seems very supportive of where the NBA is right now. And he'll mm-hmm. use his expertise to talk to them, but he, but he will also just take in what they say to him. And he, with genuine interest, it's not just, uh, everything's bad. In my day, we used to be able to punch people in the face and not get suspended, blah, blah, blah. Doug Christie just, yeah, he's very natural. He's a very easygoing guy, and it shows. For sure. But, no, I mean, I've I've been happy with, uh, you know, obviously he and Grant still don't have the same level of rapport and comfort that Grant and Jerry did after calling games together for whatever it was, 20-something years. Uh, but but it's definitely gotten better. It, it's a lot better than it was at, at the beginning of Doug's first season, so it's good to see. I think he is better in this role than as a studio analyst, as he was for most of his first couple of years on TV. I would agree I think, with that. I, I think I think he's you know he's smart enough. He knows the game well enough. He can do a lot of stuff on the fly, um, and you know, kind of going back to what I was talking about with where he you know, stops trying to, to do gimmicky things or whatever and, and just breaks down what's happening on the floor. And he does things, you know, just right in the instant where he'll call out, you know, in that instance, what you got to do is you got to get your foot right on the baseline to where then if they go around you, they're out of bounds. You know, he just breaks down little things like that. Just, and he does it on the fly in the middle of, you know, the first time he's seen a replay, the first time he's seen something right in front of him, like, he can break it down really quick, which of course is why he was such a good defender and such a good team player when he was in the NBA. But you know, not many guys are able to translate that and and talk about it in a way that makes sense. You know, occasionally he'll say, you know, this type of play is called this, and he'll throw out jargon or whatever. But it's usually just here's what's happening, or here's what's supposed to happen, here's what so and so needs to be doing here, and. I love when he does those things. I mean, that's what I think announcers can bring to a game to help fans understand what's happening better, which is ultimately what the point of a broadcast is. Yeah. And that sort of, it makes you wonder, the discourse the last couple of weeks has been about NBA ratings. And if there's more of that in TV, because I do in the back of my mind, think some of the TV coverage makes people not watch like they do, because there's a lot of insufferable coverage on TV these days. When it comes to the NBA, oh, yeah. and if there's a more engaging, like you watch, I know Bill Walton's, uh, he's hit or miss here in Sacramento, but you'll see on Twitter when Bill Walton's calling a game, people it can be two obscure schools, people tune into that game just to hear his commentary. No one's doing that with any of the NBA announcers. You know who else was really good? I don't know, did you catch it all when uh, Clay Thompson was doing some like sideline work for the Warriors like a week I or two didn't, ago? I didn't, but Clay Thompson's a funny dude. I've grown to like that guy. Oh my gosh, it was so good. Like at one point they had him like breaking down like different bobbleheads from his career and like which <laughs> one he liked best. <laughs> like 
His dad and, is speaking of great sports dads. Michael Thompson is one of the funniest people to follow on Twitter. If you don't just follow him, he's hilarious. He speaks in some weird language that I don't understand, but it's hilarious. And he'll engage with you. I've talked to him about like the Bee Gees before. <laughs> He's a funny dude. He just happens to be TV worker for the Lakers, which is a character flop, but I can look past it because he's funny. So all this, you're talking about these commentators who have a real grasp for the game, who can just call out things before he sees them. What you're saying right now is Rajon Rondo is going to be the next big TV person, right? I mean, if he didn't, have an abrasive personality he could be but I... <laughs> or if he they, had they a personality maybe TV, so <laughs> i don't i don't say if ray john rondo had a personality he might be on tv i don't know if he does but i don't, don't want to talk about him like yeah anyway that's that's what a good podcast is me bringing up subjects and saying i don't want to talk about <laughs> them anything else you don't want to talk about um. No, I, I'm good. I'm, I'm an open book. All right. I don't want to talk about James Johnson either, so don't bring him up. Well, I was going to. Oh, okay. Let's go back to the game. We talked about Bielitsa's game winner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this rabbit trails have all ended into our into this, but we didn't really talk about the overall game that much outside of Corey Joseph. What did you see last night that just – that showed why they're able to do that when they can't do it against the lower teams. What did, what was your takeaway from the game aside from the game winner, just the game itself? I mean, and now I'll be honest. I only got bits and pieces of the Rockets game. I didn't catch the whole thing start to finish uh, games that start a little bit earlier are challenging with me for the you know, I got kids and the bedtimes and all that stuff. Um, I'm still going to go back and watch it. I just haven't had a chance yet because uh, someone had me come on a podcast instead. Uh, oh, okay. But but from what I did see, things that stood out. Uh, one, you know, guys were getting some good looks. I mean, the Houston defense is not great. Uh, so they were getting some good looks. They were hitting open shots, which they've struggled with some games. Uh, and we talked a little bit about Corey Joseph. He had a really good game. His defense was really really good on Harden Ariza was also playing really good defense on Harden I noticed and Corey Joseph and Trevor Ariza both having a good game is a a stark contrast to what we saw in like the Spurs game the Spurs game they were both having just terrible nights and it's easy to get frustrated it's ultimately not you know Vladi's fault or their fault that they're struggling because ultimately they were supposed to be the backups. <laughs> like, yeah. They weren't supposed to be the closing lineup. <laughs> like, So things are already like off the rails and not going to plan when you're relying on those guys being good to get wins. You know, you're hoping to rely on them to be good for like 10 to 15 minutes a game, yeah. <laughs> not, not 25 to 35 minutes a game. Um, but I mean, in some of the games that we struggled, it has seemed especially like Ariza looks pretty checked out a lot of times, <laughs> uh, which he did in Phoenix last year before the trade deadline. Like, he, he kind of has a habit of doing that. Like, he he's just 
supposed to be like a veteran leader or whatever, but he checks out a lot and just kind of seems a little lethargic on the floor sometimes. Uh, but he seemed really engaged. He was playing really good defense on Harden. You know, he's, he's got good length. And, and when he's engaged in trying, <laughs> it's he's still a productive player. I want to say that's kind of been his M.O. Like, it's not all his age. I want to say that's kind of been his M.O. since he's been in the league. Like, he's always had good that's contract fair. seasons. Yeah. But I don't know about last year. Last year, I guess, was a contract year. Or did he get bought out? No, he got traded. He got traded to Washington. It was it was a one-year deal in Phoenix? Yeah. Yeah, it was a okay. one-year deal in Phoenix, and then he got traded. Would you want to try and essentially, you... he's on a – He's essentially on a one-year deal this year, too. Yeah. Would you want to try if you played in Phoenix and Washington in one season, though? And then Sacramento? I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I like to criticize, but, I mean, really my dream job would be to sign a fat contract like that these guys get for, like, a single year. Yeah. And then, like, find a way to, like, play my way out of the rotation to where I just got to, like, cool. sit on the bench all the time. Like, that'd be great. <laughs> Oh, imagine being fat 37-year-old Zach Randolph last year. He went out as the leading scorer on a team, which is cool. And last year, he just – the half season he was here, he was – every five games or so, he'd show up on the bench and cheer on his guys and then go get high somewhere. Oh, uh, he was living the dream last year. Yeah, Zach Randolph, that's – to me, that is the ultimate goal right there. Zach Randolph, King Zach Randolph, is the perfect tenure for anybody, in my opinion. <laughs> But that's also probably why I never made it to the NBA, aside from lack of you know talent and yeah. everything else, but the work ethic as well. Yeah, you got to just skip. You got to find that fine line between laziness and working hard. And being six <laughs> seven probably makes it easier than being six one and overweight, in my opinion. But there are probably <laughs> other factors to why I'm not in the NBA. But no, going think- back. Oh, go ahead. I think it's only be only because you were short. If you had an extra three inches, you'd be in the NBA, man. Don't let anyone tell you different. Oh, sweet. Appreciate it. Yeah. I like how I'm shortened. That's I never realized that I'm not that tall until I'm in an NBA circle. Or NBA circle. That makes me sound more important than I'm basketball circle. Because like UC Davis, I'd cover games. And there's very few situations where I actually feel short, but then I'd be on the court with all these guys. And these are UC Davis players. They weren't seven feet tall, but a lot of them are 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and I'm like, oh, wow, these guys are tall. And 6'5", is small yeah. in the NBA. That's Steve Nash. I think he's 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, but you do not realize that. Yeah. But going on from the game, we, as of this recording, some people think Marvin Bagley might be back tomorrow. That's Wednesday. Um, but uh, it's believed. I think it's probable. Yeah, it's believed he'll be, if it's not tomorrow, It'll, it sounds like it'll probably be tomorrow. If it's not tomorrow, it's going to be very soon. Where is he going to fit? Do you start him? Do you bring him off the bench? What do you do? I think that given how well Holmes and Bealitz have played, especially the last couple of games, I think that gives Walton some really nice cover to be able to bring Bagley off the bench to start. Uh, you know, So at least for one game, come off the bench, Limitman is, you know, he's not going to roll him out for like 35 minutes if he plays on Wednesday. You know, he's going to play. He's going to, you know, get some run, get some opportunity, kind of see how everything feels, see, you know, shake some rust off. And that's probably the smartest way to do it. I mean, putting him right back into the starting lineup 
doesn't make a ton of sense, especially when you're trying to figure out, you know, one, who's he going to replace of these two guys who have been playing really well? And two, which of the two should it be as far as, you know, matchups and, you know, skill set pairings? If you bring them off the bench and just kind of stagger the, the minutes for the three of them, you can kind of mix and match and kind of see what works and what doesn't, and that can help Walton figure out, okay, if I'm starting Bagley going forward, who's he starting next to? You know, and uh, you know, Walton has said, you know, going back to the start of the year, you know, he, he's not going to focus on who, who starts the game. He focuses on, you know, how many minutes is a guy getting, you know, who's in there in closing situations. He thinks that that's the bigger deal, which we all know starting is important, but to players especially. But, yeah. but you know, I, I'd be shocked if he doesn't come off the bench for at least a game or two while they kind of figure out, you know, okay, now that he's being reintegrated into the offense, who does he look better playing next to, you know, what does the, the ideal lineup look like and, and then go from there. And I, agree. and I think you could make an argument for any combination of those two, two of those three guys starting, like you could really, Oh yeah. Any, I immediately think I want to go Bagley and Nemanja Bielitsa starting and make Rashawn Holmes our sixth man. And it's not like anything against Rashawn Holmes. I think Rashawn Holmes just adds great energy off the bench. It's really a positive in this case. This sounds like someone who's trying to make their kid feel better for failing at something. But no, legitimately, Rashawn Holmes off the bench with that energy, with Bogdan Bogdanovich, who have shown a rapport with each other. I think I like that situation more. And then as far as minutes go, just run with it. Whoever's doing good that game, they're going to get the minutes. They're going to get the bulk of it. Because you can get these guys all a decent amount of minutes in a game reward the one who's doing best that game i think that's the way to go about it i mean i think the only the only tricky part of that is that you know we've we've seen with other coaches in the king's past that players don't like when they don't have a defined role players like to know you know i'm gonna see my minutes and and walton as a former player kind of understands that idea of that you can't have guys worried about a miss in the first quarter impacting the rest of their minutes. In this situation, I think it is a little bit different, though, in that there's a lot of minutes between those three guys. If we're saying this is our big man rotation, I imagine Harrison Barnes will get some minutes at the floor. Yep. Uh, maybe Dwayne Dedman comes off the bench. I think he's going to be out of the rotation. But in this case, it's you're not staggering. It's not the difference between 15 minutes and 35. To me, you can probably get each of these guys. I don't know the math off the top of my head, but you can probably get these guys hovering around 30 minutes a game, all three of them, if they're the three main guys in the rotation as your big men. And then if you need to stagger that a little, you're just doing that. And I don't think that's as big a deal as what a guy is starting, then coming off the bench, then not playing, then all that, which we've seen guys do here. So that's why I think this is the way to go. And I feel like the guys, if they buy into this, wouldn't hate it. I mean, Bagley's going to be the starter of the future. If everything goes well, Bagley, by the end of the season, should be the one getting the most minutes. But we need to do what's best for the team, too. Yeah, and I mean, at the end of the day, it's a good problem to have. You know, it, it's yeah, it's a, a good issue. It is a challenge, but, you know, they can work it out. And I, I think Bagley comes off the bench. I think you see, you know, you, you make sure, you know, the first couple of games back that he gets – 
some extended stretches next to Bielitsa and see how he handles the, the rebounding and the defensive side of things because that's been the concern pairing him with Nemanja. And then you make sure he gets some stretches with Holmes and see how the spacing looks because, I mean, we saw last year, you know, we were all calling, like, you know, we need to get Bagley in the starting lineup and, you know, just play him next to Willie. And then they did that, and it was a disaster. Like, it clearly did not work playing him next to Willie Collestein. So, I mean, remember, <laughs> you just got to roll it out there and see what works and then adjust based on that. The Kings, one thing going for them this year, again, this is a credit to the front office, is they are a deep team this year. That's part of the reason we're able to compete with the Rockets when we aren't, when we're missing who some thought were going to be our top two options. The Kings mm-hmm. actually have decent depth at pretty much every position this year. And that is, like you said, a good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with myself. But going <laughs> off that, so <laughs> going off that Bagley. I kind of agree with you. I say bring him off the bench for at least a game. Just let him get reacclimated. Play him in the play him twenty minutes, whatever. Let's see how he looks. But maybe just build a little bit off of there. But I can also see an argument. I said Rashawn Holmes coming off the bench, but I can see an argument for Bagley and Rashawn Holmes starting side by side. And if they're both bought in with their energy and their potential to just go crazy, that could be a fun front court. Mm-hmm. I don't have any really insight I mean, that. I mean, I think the other thing is that which pairing is ideal could all, you know, whether that's Bagley starting alongside Bielitsa or Holmes could flip once Fox is back. Yeah, having Fox in there yeah. could change the dynamic of which big man pairs best with Bagley just from a, you know, the ball movement and the way that Fox breaks down the defense, like that could change things as well. I feel like, do you feel like we're forget, we, do you find yourself forgetting that we are missing those two players? <laughs> like when you get super down after a loss, I, like San Antonio, do you find yourself like, oh yeah, we don't have two important pieces? Uh, I, I often find myself in the middle of games missing Darren Fox. I never forget that he's not there. <laughs> and he is the anti me, so it's the opposite where you see me and you're like, I wish he wasn't here. <laughs> but oh, we do miss Deer and Fox. I'm looking forward. To, I think this could be a blessing in disguise, which is a cliche thing to say, but him being out could be a blessing in disguise when we look back on the season because the team did rely on his success in some of those games, even the bad ones. He was the only thing keeping it from being a bad loss to a blowout loss. And them learning to play without him could be huge. I don't see it being a Ewing effect where he comes back and suddenly they're worse. Yeah, I think that what's going to be tricky is there's always that shot or that chance that when Bagley first comes back, when Fox first comes back, that there could be some struggles out the gate, you know, getting the rust off, things like that. And, you know, it's going to take a little bit of patience that I don't know that we as Kings fans always <laughs> display. What? Yeah, crazy. Are you implying that we can be brash and reactionary? Uh, just a little, just a little. I will. I, one season, if I remember, I'm just going to map the narratives. 
like on coaches, on players, all that. I'm just going to map them because it is hilarious to see how quickly someone can change because of a bad game or a good game. Like imagine how mm. much a different everything leading into this podcast right now, everything before this, how different this is if that Bielitsa shot does not go in. It's still a good game, but everything we've talked about, it's an entirely different cast. We're probably more down on some players, more up on some players. We remember some mistakes we didn't see. It's hilarious just how one thing not going your way can change everything. Mm -hmm. And that's the story of the Kings. Yeah. (laughs) 0-5, this entire season is over. (laughs) (laughs) I'll give myself credit. I made fun of people like this. I'll give myself credit for saying they can still correct things. I mean, that 0-5 was terrible, but... It's still it five games in an 82-game season. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we looked bad, but, you know, as we've seen, people wrote us off when Deer and Fox went down, too. And we've shown that we can do it. The Kings, they have many of the same problems last year. They play down to the competition. I was more confident leading into the Houston Rockets game yesterday than I am against the Oklahoma City Thunder tomorrow. Which, by the way, side note, this will be late for some of you. Buddy Heald, your jersey's been tucked in a lot, or not tucked in a lot recently. We're playing Chris Paul tomorrow. If you're listening, please keep it tucked in. But back to my point. They have the same problems that they are going to play down to the competition. And games like Houston should be a wake-up call. Like, hey, we can compete with these guys if we just – Play like a smart basketball team. You can play like a smart basketball team against lesser opponents. And Oklahoma City's doing mm-hmm. good. I'm talking about them like they're a bad team. They're actually doing good. But they are the type of team I could see the Kings playing down to or up to. Right. They might be a better team, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I do. No, I mean it like I said, it's been an issue for a while. Now. I mean and yeah, you, know, you you could chalk it up to the Kings being a young team, but they're not really that young. <laughs> like, especially Our without Fox and Bagley. Years they, old. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially without Fox and Bagley, they, the team's not that young, so it's tough to blame youth for some of these mistakes. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a concern. And like you said, I'm less concerned about the Oklahoma game, more concerned about the Knicks game. <laughs> yeah. I would rather play the Milwaukee Bucks right now than the New York Knicks. The Bucks have won 15 straight as of this, unless they lost earlier today. I don't know. But well, and, the Bucks I mean, have to lost, clarify this, won 15 straight. To, to clarify, what I'm saying is I am confident the Kings will show up. Not that they will win, but that they will show up and put forth a good effort against the Thunder. And I'm not as convinced they'll put up you know, a respectable effort against the Knicks, even though they might win against the Knicks without a respectable effort. Yeah, they did it against the Mavericks. They got they got content when they went up 16 or whatever it was. Yeah. And it comes back to bite them. They do it within games, and they just can't do that. They need to go – what the Bucks were so good about last year, I haven't been able to watch them as much this year, but – Last year, the Bucks were great at putting away teams so that Giannis didn't have to play in the fourth quarter. I'm not saying we have mm-hmm. to be the Bucks of last year. That's obviously saying you need to be a 60-win team, and we don't have Giannis. But what they did was they didn't think, 
when they were up 20, they didn't think, okay, we have 24 minutes left. We can kind of take it off. They just kept piling it on. And then come fourth quarter, they really didn't have to worry about losing that lead most of the time. And they need that mindset. You don't need the personnel to do that. You need that mindset. Mm -hmm. No, it's exactly anything. They they can't get comfortable. They can't let their foot off. They're not that good a team. (laughs) Yeah. Some guys, LeBron's the master of being able to coast in games, but he's probably the only player who can do that to the level he does. That's why he's in his 17th year and might be having his best season. Yeah. But most players cannot do that. And it's team-wide. It seems like this team's entire psyche can change so quickly. And it's it's almost a weird way of synergy because when things are going well, they're hitting on all cylinders. But the slightest thing goes wrong, and it's like they all just shut it off. Yeah. And they all go to ISO. We get contested three-pointers. We get all this, these things that we don't need, and we forget what it was that got us ahead. And that's the difference between a good team and a bad team, and that's also the difference between a great team and a good team, is the one who is able to just bypass this. If you've watched, like, the Rockets, now they're fresh in mind, if you've watched them in the playoffs, the reason that they never win, yeah, they've had outlying things like injuries, but the second they get figured out by a team, and this is the Mike D'Antoni special dating back to Phoenix, the second they get figured out, they just all lose their minds, and then they crash in epic fashion. I don't want to be the Rockets. I want to be a team that isn't predictably going to lose once they hit that playoff level. You almost just said you wanted to be the Warriors, didn't you? Nah, I would never say that. <laughs> I want to be... I want to be the 2002 Kings without Game 7. <laughs> I want that feeling of first. Brad would play. like to lose in six. Yes. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Man. We were talking – I forget I forget if I was talking about this with you or not the other day, but we were talking about like the Eric Musselman year. It was a 38-win team. That just seemed like the most dire thing that we had ever experienced. Like – Oh, if we had John Salmons on a, yeah, if we had John Salmons on a thirty-eight win team in his first year here, now <laughs> we might want to retire his jersey. Are you suggesting that we don't already want to retire his jersey? Yeah. Well, he's probably going to play for us again. I don't even know where he is, but he's probably going to play for us. True. We can't. I retire fully yet. expect him to run. Yeah. <laughs> I fully expect him to work for this team. There's no way John Salmons doesn't work for this team in some regard. Yeah, but he didn't play with Bonnie. True. Yeah, you're right. That was after. Everything from like 2004 to 2010 is like a blur. I can't remember who played with what. I just remember Francisco Garcia, the greatest king of all time. There's (laughs) one thing you take away from this podcast. It's that. And I hope That's he's it. doing well. I heard he lived in Sacramento. I don't know if he still does, but I heard that. I'm sure he's a big fan. Mm-hmm. He probably listens. Francisco Garcia, hit me up if you want to be on here. But are we missing anything? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I think we covered it. We This was a surprisingly barren episode of Obscure Pop Culture References. Do you have anything you want to bring up? Um... I recently watched a YouTube video on the history of the Silverhawks cartoon from the 1980s. 
Do you remember Silverhawk? Oh, nice. No, I was born in 88. I'm young. Well, like the show came out the same year I was born. So I didn't know it because I watched the show. I knew it because I had some of the toys that my dad probably found at like the dollar store. Nice. So I don't know even know if I've heard of that. It was made by the same people who made Thundercats and they included the same voice actors. It was almost a ripoff in every way, except it took place in space. And the people were like cyborg bird people. Like there were people, but they could fly through space and were like metallic and had like robot birds that were their helpers. I feel like a variation of that was like 97 different things in the 80s and 90s. Like that's a formula yeah, I mean, that got me Power Rangers. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it was certainly a precursor. But that can be your homework. Go look up Silverhawks. Uh, I'm sure if you were determined enough, you could probably find like full episodes somewhere on YouTube. But uh, you can you can check it out and get back to me. Sounds good. And yeah, that reminds me. I was watching the toys that made us because I hadn't watched it before, and they were talking about the history I need to of GI Joe show. and all that. Oh, it's yeah, great. It's it's fun. Like they all have interesting stories, and the movies one. So if you guys wanted your pop culture quota, I just gave it to you at the end. But what are your final you? thoughts going into this? We're about we're more than likely about to enter the Bagley era, not era, but we're we're more than likely about to enter the team with Bagley back. What do you want to see more than anything else as he returns? I really just want to see him play well. I mean, I just I really enjoyed watching him play last year. He had so many fun moments and, you know, just put a display of really fun things out there where, you know, there's been so much talk, especially this season with how Luke has been playing that I'd like Bagley to come in and not that I expect him to play at a level that makes us think he was better than Luca, but just I want him to remind us like why we weren't so hurt over it last year, you know, that he was a fun guy to root for that, you know, we could have a lot of fun with him, you know, and, and envisioning how he and Fox could help lead this team, you know, out of being perpetually bad. <laughs> yeah. I think please, I've pled this before, but please stop driving yourselves crazy. Every time Luca does something, we still don't know exactly what Bagley's going to be this year. He doesn't, it's going to suck that Luca is probably going to be a superstar we could have passed on, but it doesn't mean Bagley's going to be bad. Let's give the guy a chance. I feel like we were far more pessimistic about him in an injury than we were in an entire offseason where we could have had this discourse. And when one's yeah, averaging I mean, a triple-double on 30 points, 10 assists. It's tough when Luca's doing that and we don't see anything because, you know, Bagley's hurt. You know, that's just tough. I mean, it's tough to not have anything to take solace in. Like, you know, if, if Bagley starts putting up, like, a couple 2010 nights, like, you can be like, all right, well, at least that's good. Like, at least he's yeah. a good player. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, the Kings beat the Mavs without, without Bagley. So we're a go. better team than the Mavericks are with Luka. That's so I think that means we made the right pick. That's how that works. Someone who doesn't know me and hears me say I'm a Hawks fan and then refers to the Kings as we must be so confused. <laughs> but on that note, I'm going to summon 
the Sacktown Royalty Band. Don't they sound beautiful? Oh, lovely. I know I know you actually listen, so I knew I wasn't gonna get you on that one. But <laughs> I still get people. We'll see next week we have another friend of Sacktown Royalty, and I'm really looking forward to this one. Um, I won't say who it is in case some in case falls through, but this things could get weird in this episode. But where can they find you at GWIS on Twitter, correct? Yep, that's it. At GWIS, G-W-I-S-S. Uh, I'm on there and making dumb jokes and making opposing fan bases mad. And we need to get Deard Fox back so we can bring back the Ducking Fox list. Seriously. That's I want him back, but that's the main reason. Because it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean everything but, else is secondary. Yeah. As always, you guys can find me at, at the real Brad G. Um I might be writing something soon. I might not be. Ooh. Hold up, Shyamalan. <laughs> but I will talk to you guys next week on the Sacktown Royalty Show. Thank you and goodbye.